Hey everyone, this is a special bonus edition of the recent episode with Andrew Thelston with guest interviewer Courtney Cahill. Uh, we just had a lot of fun and talked for a long time and there wasn't enough to reasonably hold this in the original episode, which itself was very long, uh, like an hour and a half, I think. Really enjoyed talking to these guys. Uh, don't forget Andrew Thelson's new EP is called Illuminated Plastic. You can find that at all the streaming sites and also at andrewthelston.com. Courtney Cahill has a couple of projects. You can find the Rocky Horror Music Show at instagram.com slash Rocky Horror Music Show. And you can find his cover band, Double Love and the Trouble, at instagram.com slash Double Love and the Trouble. That worked out pretty good. If you want to hear the full musical selections, go to the original episode. And I hope you enjoy this special bonus episode of Andrew Thelston's speaking about his EP, Illuminated Plastic. I drew that out for dramatic effect. Not at all because my headphones were falling off. Okay, here it is. I want you to know about my love. This time I know it's true. And it's you. You gotta help me through. The lead up song right there. Uh, yeah, this one, I, you know, all of these songs, uh, I, the way that I write stuff usually, um, in the past, of course, like I've recorded everything by myself, which, uh, it's, I did it the first album like that because I'm such a big fan of Prince and Paul McCartney and Dave Grohl and all of their first albums. They did that. They, um, you know, they, they uh, played all the instruments and did the whole thing. And, you know, I kind of needed that to sort of like decompress from the band that I had been in for like 10 years. Um, so it was kind of nice to sort of just go through that and feel good about the product, which my debut album, I was really proud of that. But since then, I've steadily been incorporating other musicians and stuff. And on that track, uh, Roddy Wilder, he's playing bass on it and... Uh, he just nails it. He had just bought a six-string um, active bass, and you can really kind of hear that that pump, um, that funky pump that he's got coming out of that thing, and it's just a very specific sound. And most of the time with any guitar player or bass player, you the, the sound is going to be in those fingers, and um, you can definitely hear his fingers just kind of going for it. And I remember when we were recording it, he was like, Hey man, can can I use a pick on this? And I was like, no. I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, no, use your fingers. He's like, well, it's just kind of hard. And I was like, what? I was like, you're one of the funkiest bass players I know. Like, like no, like use use your. You know, I had to like really kind of convince him. But we sculpted it up, and he just nailed it. And it needed that like driving, dump 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 And I wrote that bass line with him in mind. And that's the thing that I've kind of done lately. And especially all over this EP, I've written parts for the musicians that are around me to do, to showcase them, which, you know, like I can't, I can't perform without great musicians. I can't perform without a great band. So to kind of just showcase them, which I do at all my shows, I always kind of give people solos, you know. Uh, Carrie Morrison, who's been playing with me, I always play some of her songs, I always play some of Roddy's songs, you know, 
uh, Walker Aston when he's playing bass with me. I always kind of give him songs and showcase tunes that he's arranged or put together. So, you know, I always give Jeff a drum solo. You know, we always kind of throw that stuff out there. Do you write um, any drum parts? Do you write those up? So, <laughs> fun story about that. Um, the whole idea, the whole thing with recording, as you guys know, you guys have all, you know, you guys have gone down that rabbit hole. It can be kind of a hard thing for for songwriters and drummers in particular. And, you know, I see those eyebrows moving on Courtney. Um, yeah, it can be kind of a difficult thing where, like, maybe a singer-songwriter has, like, a specific idea that a drummer can't get behind. And, you know, uh, it's one of those things where when Jeff came into the band, you know, he hadn't done a lot of recording and we had to kind of learn how to coexist and how to have it be as much about him and his drum parts as it is about what's serving the song. And that's the whole thing. Like I, I, I sit there whenever I write things, I demo them out beyond anything. And I have the ideas and I get the structure and I'm like, all right, here's the arrangement, here's the orchestration and all that kind of stuff. And usually, you know, I mean, like, I'm I'm not an awful drummer, but I'm also not a drummer. Mm. Like, I love drums. Yeah. And, like, that's the number one thing that I think, like, recordings now, it's, it's all drums. Like, the biggest arguments you'll ever hear in a recording session are, how are, the, how are the drums supposed to sound? What is the part? And then whatever's happening with the vocals. Everything else is kind of like... Sure, let's try it. But there's so many like arguments that will happen <laughs> over drums and vocals. It can be an exhausting thing. Um, but he and I figured out how to work together on this EP. And basically, I was just like, here are the songs. Let me take out my dumb drum parts and then send it to him and have him work these parts up. And it was, it was so good. It turned out so great. And yeah, I'm super happy with how everything sounds on this. And it's because he wrote these parts. He kind of came in and was like, oh, and he's been playing with me for so long too that like, you know, you can kind of hear that in this. And that's why I'm so proud of this EP and like where this thing is going. Um, it takes a while to trust musicians, you know, and me being a control freak like Courtney. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a control enthusiast. Yeah, control enthusiast. That's I like that term better. You know, being a control freak, like I want things a certain way. I want them to be that thing. But like, I will not argue with anybody coming in with something that sound that make that elevates the song. So like, that's the only thing that I have. That's the only rule I have is like, let's elevate this work. Let's work as a team to make this the best thing that it's going to be. And every one of these songs sounds better because I have the best musicians around me, you know, that perform with me regularly, like on it, you know, and I've written a lot of these songs and these parts, uh, for these musicians and, you know, Jeff and Roddy just bring it on this track. And it's just like a funky, like big time introduction. Like you are now, this is the world you are in. And I kind of really like worked hard on the, that instrumentation and this whole EP too, like I should have just called it like Andrew buys a Telecaster because like I've got this Eastwood uh, Mad Cat Prince copy 
And it's Prince was famous for playing a Telecaster, but he didn't play a Fender. I'm such a dork. I'm going... For those of you listening to the podcast right now, Andrew's diving into guitar nerd. Telecaster is a guitar. Fender is a company that makes guitars. So, Andrew, my, my first bullet point is, did you play that purple guitar on this track? Because it sounds like it. Oh, all over the place. And it's just like, it's the perfect rhythm guitar. Um, now, for the guitar solo, I definitely used that Les Paul. And that's also, right. you know, along with like the funk that I'm just so just violently influenced by, I love heavy rock stuff. So there's so much of that in this track. And even the guitar solo, I was listening to it today, and I was like, Man, that's like the most Mars Volta guitar solo thing that I have ever done. Another huge influence on me. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of cool to to kick that out and to kind of. Were you? you, know, were you? Am I? Do I have this wrong? Were you in a Mars Volta cover band one time? Or that was the first time ever. That was the first time I ever saw you play. Was that uh, in that Mars Volta tribute band? Really? I didn't know I that. Think so. Yeah, that was amazing. What did you think? The whole band was amazing. It was ridiculous. Like that stuff is so hard to cover. But this this that. interview is about me. What did you think about me? <laughs> right. Oh, you were amazing. I'll edit out the part about the band, Andrew. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, that was uh yeah. I've always loved that band. That was one of my. I remember being you know not to date myself or whatever, but being in high school and skipping class to go buy the second Mars Volta album, Francis the Mute, um, and just being blown away. Um, and yeah, it's cool to kind of incorporate some of those wilder influences, you know, on these tunes and stuff. And, uh, you know, just the, I'm always trying to be better as a producer, too. And, you know, kind of throw that, you know, there's a level of, like, weird stuff that I like to throw in there because, you know, I just, that's my palate. That's what I listen to. You know, that's what I like. I skipped school to uh, buy Quiet Riot tickets. Is that, not to date myself, yeah. That is that Quiet Riot with Randy Rhodes or without? I don't know. It was like 82, I guess. So, I so without. Yeah. All right. No, probably you really did just pinpoint yourself right there. He <laughs> <laughs> skipped kindergarten. Right. This leadoff track is so perfect for you, Andrew, just because it's like literally like the Prince feel goes on like, you know, the first five seconds is like, you know, that that funky Prince feel. And then Roddy comes in with that. I literally wrote like his tone is so amazing and the feel is so funky. So he immediately puts that out there. Like it's just it's a perfect introduction to your sound if no one's heard you. Like, you know, the whole the whole gamut of your spectrum, like just on one track. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's yeah, it's okay. good that it comes off like that, because that's kind of that's what I was wanting. <laughs> yeah. So. You have such a stamp on your stuff. I would never if I heard that song out of the blue. I would know it's you in about, you know, 30 seconds. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, your voice is obviously very distinct, but I agree, you're, you're, even before that comes in, you can always tell uh, Andrew Thelson's song. Uh, I'm just piggybacking on what uh, Courtney said <laughs> to be part of. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, yeah. though. No, it's, and that's, that's really, that's more what I care about more than anything. Because, again, going back to me being, like, a big Prince nerd, I, I've read these, uh, you know, Again, all right, so those of you listening to the podcast, Andrew starts talking about Prince. So there are these two books that I bought recently, and they're like encyclopedias of Prince's recording habits. There's one book between 1983 and 1984, and then 85 and 86. And in those four years, he recorded, that's all he did was record and then like occasionally perform. Like he was constantly recording and just kind of goes into those habits and stuff and like, you know, he was so 
you know, they talk about the difference between Prince and Michael Jackson. And it was Prince would get the song done in six hours and Michael Jackson, it would take six months. And like, they're both amazing things. Yeah, but like yeah. Prince could get it done. And it was just like a factory of music with him. And, uh, you know, that's, I, I, I like that. In an ideal world, I would be recording constantly and then going out and like playing gigs. Of course, you know, like I, I do the mu music teaching and, and, you know, the performance stuff a little bit more than the recording, but like, I just love producing music so much. I love producing original music so much. I'm like, you know, that's my MO. I was gonna say, I'm always surprised how often you're posting something on social media where you're demoing something. I'm like, oh, yeah. constantly writing songs and demoing. Like it's like, you know, three or four days a week you're recording something, it seems like. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where like, you know, I, if it perks up my ear, if I'm like, oh, that's cool, I'm gonna ride that idea until I can't. So that's why I demo stuff so much. And you also have, have kind of, uh, you've discovered a thing that I try to not blast out there, but when I have an idea that I really like, I'll put a little video of it, and there are videos of these songs, mm -hmm. if you go back to my social media stuff, where I think they're cool, and so if I think it's cool, I will put it up, you know, as like, here's my demo, and kind of see, like, the reaction it gets. And if I get, like, a lot of people like, man, that's awesome, when's that song coming out? I'm like, sweet, I need to throw, I need to expand on this. Yeah. So I can kind of, like, if I can kind of bare bones it with a bass line or a guitar part or even, like, drum part or vocal thing, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. I'm like, sweet, I need to lean into that and continue that work. So it's a good way to sort of see what people are into, you know? Have you ever gotten any, when you've done that, have you ever got any, like distinctly negative input uh not really I yeah, mean, yeah. most that... of the people that follow me on you know instagram and tiktok and facebook they're all pretty positive yeah yeah that's what i was thinking i mean i've never seen anything remotely close to that you know every um, actually there was a thing there was somebody that maybe on youtube yeah they, even on youtube it's not too yeah. bad there yeah. was a there was a, a guy somebody posted something on one of my it was one of the tribute shows that I did, um, the Led Zeppelin thing. And they were like, vocals sound pretty good, but that guitar work, that guitar needs work or something like that. And I, I didn't even see it for like a day or something. And then like three or four other people were like coming to my like defense on it. And they were like, Andrew's awesome. How dare you? And I was like, that's cool that like people care about my guitar playing yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Like that's cool that I don't really have to fight these battles. You don't say that, Andrew Thelston. You come here and say, come here and say. Yeah. Especially you're being Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. Like, come on, dude. Right. <laughs> like, right. come on. All right, Andrew, this is, we're, we'll do some uh, random questions here. What was your favorite kids' show when you were growing up? Mupp it is a three way tie between Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is not really a kids' show, but was definitely pushed towards kids to sell toys. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse, which as an adult watching that is horrifying. So uh, kudos for my parents letting that happen. And uh, what was the third? Oh, Muppet Babies. I loved it. So good. Muppet Babies. Yeah. So I was born in 1987. That's a lot of range. <laughs> uh, you didn't like the original Muppet show? Did you ever watch that? I did. Not a fan. Oh, really? 
They have some interesting I mean, some, music it's, going it's, there. It's like a, it's like Jimmy Fallon or something. Like it depends on who's on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They have a great um, version of uh, "While My Guitar Gently Weeps" by the guitar player from the Muppet Band. He just does it by himself. It's like this really, really weird thing, you know. It's like Gonzo and Chickens and the guys in the corn, you know. And then all of a sudden, it stops, and this guy's just singing a beautiful solo version of "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." And then, okay, now the pig comes out, and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It did really depend, though. Yeah, it could be like Alice Cooper or something. It would be amazing. And then the Alice Cooper one is good. Like it'd be, yeah, it could be like a ballet dancer or yeah, something. Yeah. It, yeah, it depended on who the guests were. And then Anne Murray. <laughs> yeah. And here's Anne Murray. Yeah, so this track, uh, obviously there's a ton of saxophone tracks on that, and that's my boy Miles um, from Dr. Bacon, and of course the Rocky Horror Music Show, which uh, that gentleman right over there controls uh, with his sweet, sweet hands. Um, uh, yeah, I've been doing that's the me. Rocky Horror thing. What is this, our third year that we're you doing that? I think it was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been doing the Rocky Horror Music Show, and um, that's been awesome it has been super fun and it's like a, a yeah it's i i enjoy every moment of that is that how you met miles yeah i didn't know him before now he and i have had an issue along with josh clark where everybody confuses us for the other one um we kind of look the same because we have curly hair you know swedish features and uh you know glasses and you know we're all multi-instrumentalists so like it's confusing Miles, he told me once that he went into like one stop with his saxophones and he has my sticker on his sax case. So he comes in, he's getting ready to jam or something. And they're like, oh man, I didn't know you played saxophone too. And he's like, yeah, like, you know, and he's like, it's like, oh, and they start, they start talking to him about my band. And he's like, oh I, yeah, I guess he's okay. Like, he's like, oh wait, you're not. And it was like this whole confusion thing. And I've definitely been confused for Josh Clark. Plenty of times too, so it's funny. You guys should form a trio. Yeah, we. T I told I told Miles we should do that, but with this track, I, uh, you know, I have got all these like funky guitar lines in there, and I've got um, Walker Aston playing bass on this one, and we had it, and I, it was one of those things where I wrote the lyrics kind of like in like one night, lyrics, melodies, all that kind of stuff, and just laid it down, and I was like, sweet. I was like, this is kind of coming together. It's starting to sound like a song. And then it came to the part where I start adding synthesizers. Um, and nothing I could do made any sense at all with the, with the synthesizers. And that's usually like my go-to to sort of fill out the sound. And I was like, I was like, damn it. Like, what does this song need? Like, this is just sounding like, I don't know. It's not, it's not what I want for the full thing to be. And I was like, I need something that I haven't done before. And that's always, you know, that's another thing, you know, with as many songs and albums that I've been a part of and produced and all that kind of stuff. I haven't recorded a saxophone since college. <laughs> and Miles hit me up. I don't know. I think we had like a Rocky Horror music show back in January in Charlotte. And he was like, hey, if you got any tracks? And I was like, well, I got this one that I don't know what the hell needs to be on it, but probably a saxophone. I was like, 
why don't you write something? So he kind of came up with some parts and we got together and, you know, my memories of recording saxophone in college was, oh God, I've got to auto-tune all of this. <laughs> and with Miles, I didn't have to auto-tune anything. It was just so refreshing to be around somebody who knows an instrument like that, which if you know anything about playing saxophone, like lungs, lips, fingers, all of that, like it's a completely different ball game than playing like guitar, bass, or drums. That's also the same uh, motto with Scottish food. hey <laughs> I like haggis. Don't you be bad mouthing haggis, man. That's some good stuff. But yeah, uh, you know, with the way that Miles kind of came in and we just kind of kind of sculpted it up together on top of like again just the awesome rhythm section of Jeff and Walker and um you know you know it's kind of an interesting thing you know people are like why do you have two different bass players on this project it's because you know everybody's in different bands around here and I play with Walker and I play with Roddy basically equally like it's about 50 50 like if you go out to see me you're gonna see either Walker or Roddy and you know, you got a 50-50 chance of seeing either one of them, you know, out there. And they both bring different qualities to that instrument. And Walker is definitely more kind of classic rock-driven, prog rock stuff from the 70s. And Roddy leans more on, like, the funky side. Um, you know, while also having, like, a lot of, like, metal chops in him. Uh, but yeah, with this track, you know, like, uh, you know, I think that was also kind of a fun thing to do as I was talking about earlier, writing songs for me, for my fellow musicians to like be showcased on because there are some sick bass parts on that. And those bass parts kind of led to Miles kind of, you know, playing along with those bass parts, basically. Um, basically, hey, oh, um, <laughs> dad joke, uh, <laughs> So, um, yeah, Walker's totally shredding under the solo at the end. Like, it's crazy. He just lets loose and just going crazy. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, that would be awesome. He's doing like in the second verse, he's got this like, like ascending line of these horns. And he brought, I mean, like you've seen him with the Rocky Horn Music Show. He comes out with three horns and like can play them equally amazingly. And like, he knows how to stack these parts too. And like, I think it was kind of, it was fun, I, you know, I don't want to speak for him or anything, but like, I think it was fun for him to be like, oh, I can do whatever I want right here. Like, let's put 15 saxophone tracks on here, which is what we did. We doubled the bass on stuff and, you know, kind of coming up with these harmonies on the spot. That stuff is really fun because like, I've got a big background in improv, like in jazz. That's what I went to college for, um, was jazz guitar and recording. And so it's kind of fun to like throw those ideas around with somebody where like, you know, I played trumpet poorly in middle school and high school. I've never once tried to pick up a saxophone, but it's cool to be able to, you know, bounce those ideas back and forth uh, with an instrument that I could never play to that capacity. And uh, it was really fun. I was, it was something different. I've never, you know, like I said, I haven't had a saxophone on anything that I've recorded since college. So... It's got to be interesting to produce something that you don't have the actual experience in playing, like just working with the actual musician to bounce ideas that. Yeah. You know. And it's, it's, and this track too, in particular, it didn't have a baseline. Like it sort of, it had my 
crappy bass line that I was like, oh, well, you know, gun to my head, that's that would be a fine bass line. But with Walker, with the tracks with Walker, I was pretty much like, here are the chords that I'm playing. Make it up. Figure it out. And we would do kind of, you know, a couple different passes of his ideas, and then we would kind of, you know, I would guide him to sort of stuff that I needed to happen maybe in the, the line or whatever, rhythmically or, you know, lining up with the guitar. But, you know, for the most part, you know, all of Walker's songs, he was just kind of like writing what he felt and kind of throwing these fills in and reacting to the vocals and the drums. And, you know, yeah, pretty fun stuff for sure. Is Miles playing all uh, tenor sax on these parts? Uh, tenor, Barry, and a couple like. Okay. Uh, I thought I heard a baritone in there. It had a little, uh, uh, for sure. That when he pulled that, to some, some other, I think. yeah, when he pulled that Barry out, I was like, ooh, I was like, that's talking about. Yeah, there's a good Beatles track off of the White Album. Uh, Savoy Savoy Truffle. Truffle. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god, dude, those <laughs> those sax parts are so good. Yeah. And, you know, all right, so this is the part in the podcast where Andrew starts talking about the Beatles. Um, they said that when they recorded those... George Martin came in when George Harrison was, you know, producing the sax players and stuff. He was like, oh, these are a little distorted, a little bright sounding. And George Harrison turned to him, he's like, yeah, and I like it. And like, you know, so it was, you know... I, was just had that kind of that sound in my head. Um, that was the only thing I told Miles, and I don't know if it really sounds like that, but you know, like it sounds like Miles is what it sounds like. So yeah. I was just really stoked to have a completely different instrument on there. George Harrison had quite a few solo songs with uh, a lot of sax on it too. For sure, yeah. yeah. Later yeah. in the '70s and '80s, he just, he loved them, yeah. so and I can yeah. definitely understand why. So, Andrew, I have a pitch for you. A project where it's Beatles songs with Prince playing on them. I I could yeah that would be something. You can meld your two loves. Yeah. I think this is the uh, this is a hit song. I think talk with you like I literally wrote that down as a bullet point. I like I really like all these songs, but like I could totally hear this one as as a very popular single. Thanks, man. Yeah, I I appreciate that. Yeah, it's you know, and I'm never good at like. You know, oh, hey, this is this is the song that, you know, like, I can't gauge that stuff. Anytime I, like, put these songs out, I always, like, kind of run, like, some tests with people that I trust, like you guys. And, um, you know, send them out early, and I'm like, hey, which one do you think should be the single? Which one do you mm -hmm. think I should, like, have a music video for and all that kind of stuff, so. I like Point of View as a single, though. That was my favorite. Well, and that's also the good thing, too. Like, I, I love Chris, too. You know, with with the uh, with it being like a five song EP, I originally I'm always like, oh, I'm gonna put an album out, I'm gonna put an album out. But like the the business now, you know, I put I put an EP out in 2020, um, which I spent most of 2020 just kind of refining that, working on that, and getting it together, which was nice um, because of everything that was going on. Um, but I only put out like one music video for that. So it was, I kind of felt like it was sort of swallowed like the rest of the song. There's one really cool video with Rebecca O'Quinn doing the dancing. And I was really happy with that video, but I should have done what I've done with this and put these videos out, you know, just kind of spend the time kind of talking about this. So, and it's just like the business of, you know, single driven ep driven markets versus 
full 10, 11, 12. You know I mean? Like, I remember, was it Blood Sugar Sex Magic? Does it have, like, 17 tracks on it or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those are those days are kind of gone um, if you're not the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> yeah, I think um, certainly the business model is singles, and I think videos, even if it's just lyric videos or animation, because um, people consume it visually. I mean, they they go to Spotify, but if they can watch it and listen to it, it's even better. I have an idea to yeah, put I, out videos that are just scenes from movies that already have songs to them, but you you're like, I think my song would be better in this movie, so you just that would work. Just and now, I mean, it's easy to. There's a lot of places online where you can take out just the di- you know, take the music out and leave the uh, dialogue of a movie, and then just insert your insert your song in there, you know. This would be great just, in Titanic when it's yeah. going down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be you'd have to you have to keep posting it because they'd keep taking it down. But I mean, you know, that's right, the, right. that's the guerrilla marketing part of it. Hey, Andrew, who played Tambourine on Talk with You? You're looking at him right here, baby. Yeah. It sells the song. I love Tambourine so much. I think it moves. Every it's song. another crucial element. Like if you and you, you know, with Double Love, like you guys doing a lot of those like '60s and '70s like soul yeah. songs, like tambourine is all over that thing and tambourine is also super hard to play and to play right because the recoil of those jingles man it's a pain and uh you know playing with a duo with carrie morrison i have one of those foot tambourines and it's equally as frustrating to play with that stupid thing because it's like you gotta you gotta anticipate tambourine's rough man i knew this uh i had a friend of mine um he's still in that band he plays drums for Need to Breathe. Uh, his name's Randy. We went to their studio once, and they had, I kid you not, like 45 to 50 different tambourines. And apparently at the time, they were really into Squidbillies. So they had each tambourine with a different character from Squidbillies song, like, taped on there like to, to identify the tambourine, I guess. And it was super weird. But um, yeah, tambourine is it's it can make or break a song. Percussion stuff in general, along with drums, can really make or break a song. So yeah, for our for our double love in the trouble band, Troy plays since he's just singing. He has tambourine on almost every song. Like he is working the tambourine the whole time for that sixty stuff is critical. It's great. Yeah, there's a one of the guys from Wolfpack uh, has this whole video with like the top five tambourine players of all time, and they're mostly Motown and Sax people. And like their different tambourine technique is amazing. Like that, it is a skill. I think it's written off as just like this goofy, you know, instrument that you just shake around. But there's some serious skill to good tambo playing. I and I tell you, who's really good at it? Um, a skill that you know he he's definitely put it on. You know, he put it on a fa- fair amount of these tracks and stuff. Uh, Roddy is so good at it. Like Jeff gets kind of frustrated sometimes. Like yeah, we all do with tambourine. Because that one on this track is me, but it's me in my basement doing it 50 times and editing the best ones and all that kind of stuff. But like Roddy can really, he can lay it down. me yeah this was a a fun one where i got to kind of you know being generally you know carrie morrison's only really been playing keys for us for about a year now um regularly but uh 
Prior to that, we've been a three-piece, and one of my big influences uh, is the police. So we cover a couple police songs, and, you know, Jeff really has, like, this kind of... I told him in a couple spots when we were recording this, and he came up with this awesome beat. And the beat is real. Like, I like this beat a lot because it's not just, like, a, a ska thing, as Courtney probably has a lot of opinions about ska music. Um... <laughs> You know, uh, and like the specific drumming that can kind of go along with that, that sort of upbeat ska reggae thing. Um, you know, I, he, he came up with this awesome, just fantastic beat. And I was like, sweet. I was like, that's exactly what this song needed while I'm just kind of holding that, 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 thing, this chunky thing while he and Walker are really just kind of being like what we do whenever we cover Walking on the Moon or whatever, you know, these kind of musical things we've developed while playing covers, I'm kind of trying to incorporate those into these like original songs. You know, I don't think it sounds like the police, but there are definitely like policey elements to it. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I did not, I did not pick up on the police part, but I have literally my first note is that I love Jeff's feeling this, the kind of switch between full time to half time in that, in that groove. And it's like, I, I love his playing and it, it always seems so well thought out, like his live and any part, like he's like, he is so consistent and just has like well thought out parts. Yeah. And he's just like, he's a beast. He's a, he's a fantastic drummer. He is, yeah. he really, he, he's, you know, he's schooled. He went to music school and all that kind of stuff. But like, along with that, he played in punk bands, which I think is, it's an important thing for anybody playing in like a rock band to have an appreciation for punk and new wave and ska, you know, like it's, yeah. it's such an integral part of the rock and roll history since the late seventies that it's like, you have to have those chops. And I told him too, whenever we first started playing, he had been playing in like kind of like acoustic groups and a couple jam bands and things like that. So he's kind of laying back on stuff. And I was like, Jeff, I'm not paying you to like i'm paying you to hit the drums so hit the fucking drums so like you know it's that's that's what i wanted was you know i need somebody to bash these things like you know but like to have like the nuance to be able to come up with a groove like that i would never have in a million years come up with a groove like that yeah nor i i was like holy crap that is a cool beat yeah what i need to do is i need to put up um i'll probably do this too like video comparisons of my demo versus like the final product. So I think that would be kind of cool. But yeah, like the, the beat that I had was probably just like a, a little drum machine just to keep time with my demo. But um, yeah, it was, uh, I was super, and that was, that just kind of goes back to what I've been talking about for this whole thing is just showcasing the musicians around me, letting them be who they are and yeah just kind of being like here i don't know write something i'm not a drum you know i'm not the drummer in this band you're the drummer in this band figure it out and with walker too like it was the same kind of thing where i was like he, these are the chords you know here's a couple certain specific things that i need you to do but other than that be be yourself you know be yourself react to the song and let's write something and they both just kicked it out man they just did so good on this and it was uh it was really fun. And even like the keyboard parts, that's not Carrie Morrison on those keyboard parts. But I wrote those knowing Carrie was going to be playing with us. So I wrote these things and recorded them. Um, 
knowing that like Carrie was going to eventually like you know something to showcase her abilities on keys and stuff and like that little uh that little line that I don't go back to um <laughs> which I like when I was writing it I was like oh man like it would be awesome to go like should I go back to the um I've got the guitar right here the that thing like I never go back to it in the song I play it once <laughs> after the first chorus and I was like but it, it's like me and whenever we play it live, it's me and Carrie playing that together. And like, I don't hear a lot of distorted guitar with, you know, grand piano sounds. So like, again, you know, I like to kind of come up with these like new combinations of sounds and stuff. You know, it's interesting you said that because I wrote down, uh, it had a little bit of a Jim Steinemann feel. Yeah. Which is where you hear piano and distorted guitar together. Dude, Bad Out of Hell is such a good album. Like, I also do yeah. like, and I guess there, yeah, with the bells and stuff too, with the 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 um, yeah, yeah I can I can kind of hear that. Maybe I did steal all that from Meatloaf. Sorry, Meat. <laughs> Rest in peace. Hey, Andrew, we haven't talked about lyrics yet. Um, I'd written the note that your lyrics always sound like you're in trouble, <laughs> like you screwed up and you're talking your way out of something by writing a song about it. Yeah, you know, I mean, like as a songwriter, it's therapy, and. Yeah. You know, I was literally having this conversation with my wife and she's like, is this song about me? Is this song about me? And I'm like, no, like not, not every single song I write is about you, believe it or not. Well, why not? The, the, the better songs that I have written are about her, but actually most of these, actually the wine line is about her. I will say that. So I literally wrote that down. I, I don't have the time to fill your glass of wine or your uh, ears with words is a fantastic line. Thank you. I appreciate that. I love that And line. then the, I'm just exhausted. We've got two little yeah. babies. So I was probably super exhausted. And Jessica yeah. was probably saying like, hey, give me some more wine. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like I'm falling asleep yeah. on the couch. Leave me alone. Probably, you know, but you know, th that kind of spur of the moment. In my song Time, um, which is my last single that I released before this, uh, she'll love that I'm telling this on a podcast, but she has this tendency when she's very like frustrated, you know, we've got two little boys. We use that word frustrated. Um, she slammed the door and I threw that line into that song and yeah. So, you know, she's made it into some other songs and there's some great songs I've written about her, about just like loving her. And that's a lot of those elements on this EP she's in there with some of this stuff but a lot of times i'm just kind of like in the moment like if i'm just a human reacting to a situation and i kind of go back to like you know awful people that i've dated in the past and i think about those things those 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 feelings those emotions because you know it's it's a universal thing like love and being rejected or like in this song it's really kind of like you know, the whole song, the, the idea I had for it was, you know, somebody shutting you down at like meeting somebody at a party or something, somebody shutting you down before you even get the opportunity to explain yourself, to, you know, present your case, so to speak, on like why you guys might be really good together and all that kind of stuff. Like you don't get the opportunity. And it was, uh, you know, I just, I don't really think too much about like lyrics, <laughs> you know, I just kind of go with my gut so to speak and just like whatever makes sense with like the melodies and the the actual like music and stuff and you know i was having having written songs for so long do you are you just kind of over the fear of people 
reading into them or thinking like just assuming they're about you and your wife or do you care about that much anymore? I mean, I'm, I'm on, you know, like I, I don't care. I mean, like they, they come from somewhere and I mean, you know, there's so many songs that like Bob Dylan and Paul McCartney and Prince even wrote and, you know, Neil Young, you know, another guy that's just written so many songs. They're not all about their significant others at that time or whatever, you know, it's, you know, once you kind of get into that mode of creativity, you can kind of take on these different roles of like, you know, this isn't Andrew. This didn't, all of this didn't happen to Andrew. Maybe bits and pieces of that has happened to Andrew in the past or currently or whatever, but they all kind of come together in this moment. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going that route of airing dirty laundry through songs and stuff, you know. Nick Lowe talked about that on Mark Marin years ago. He was like, it's a narrator, you know, it's just because I'm singing it from my, you know, first person perspective, the song, yeah. it's a character, it's a narrator, it's not always me. And just like musically, you're you're creating new things with your instruments and, and melodically. You might take some influence from things you've heard before. You're not only repurposing things that you've heard before or have happened to you before, and lyrically, you would do the same thing. You're creating lyrically, you know, just like you are musically, I guess. Yeah, it's just, I mean, like, you know, William Shakespeare didn't, not all, you know, Hamlet didn't happen to him. I mean, right. he did kind of steal right. that from the, whatever, <laughs> he stole that from the Vikings, but whatever, you know, like, uh, you know, yeah, for sure. And everybody is, I mean, and that's yeah. the thing about art. Art creates art, like, it, like witnessing art will create more art. And that's yeah, ha yeah. that has always happened to me. I remember listening to Childish Gambino's uh, "Awaken My Love," that whole album, and I was listening to it. And you listen to it in the first track, and you're like, "Okay, kind of a trap music thing, whatever." And then like it just goes diverts into funkadelic, gnarly, funky screaming, like just you know. And that's the stuff that you know. It's it's all performance stuff at that point. It's like suddenly like, oh damn, he can sing his ass off, like, and that's that's so much of like the 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 music like the background bells and things like that and you know certain lines it's i can tell the difference and it's usually like vocals and like guitar solos where i'm really just like i've got to evoke some kind of emotion out of whoever is listening to this and they need to know that i first off mean it like i am present like the the general vibe of this song i mean it i'm not half-assing this like mm. you know i uh, going back to my song Time that I put out, I like sculpted this guitar solo and I ran it and I always try to get guitar solos in like one take because I'm a dork and <laughs> I'm a perfectionist. So I'm always trying to get these things and I wrote this guitar solo and I was playing it the same way 13 times basically. And I remember on the last time I played it and you can kind of hear it in the track, the last bend in that string, the, I broke the string and I was like, I got it. <laughs> I was like, I'm good. Like that's, that's the one, that's the one. And that was like, all right, cool. So, you know, it's all just, uh, you know, eventually becomes, it's a performance. And again, you know, actors and narrators and, you know, all that kind of stuff, it's all acting and it's getting those emotions out of people. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do with this stuff. Other than WNC original music, which obviously is your favorite podcast, what are some podcasts that you like to listen to? Um, 
The Broken Record with Rick Rubin. That's a good one. Um, yeah. I mean, Mark Marin, depending on who's on. I like Mark Marin a lot. Um, uh, Conan, if he's, you know, I usually skip through the first 10 minutes of his, yeah. like, yeah. nonsense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talking to his uh, co-host. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's That's a really funny one. There's a funny one called um, How Did This Get Made? Love that. I love that, yeah. Where they just take really crappy movies and just try to figure out why and yeah. how yeah. it got funding. It makes me disappointed that I haven't seen more bad movies. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that movie. Is it going to be good? It's still good. I recently listened to them talk about the original Mario Brothers movie, which as a kid I loved. But yeah, it was a pretty, pretty strange movie. <laughs> as an adult watching it, you're like, ugh, this is terrible. So yeah, that's another one with Roddy Wilder playing bass. And this is actually the first song that we recorded for this EP. And another one where I was, you know, kind of getting back into, you know, working with Jeff and having him kind of incorporate his ideas into the beat and stuff. He came up with an awesome beat for this. And it's like, I wrote that bass line again for Roddy to kind of, you know, kind of showcase his abilities on that six string bass. And it just like, it's got the right amount of thump and like that rhythm section just kind of moves. And that's another one. Um, I wasn't playing the Telecaster at the time cause I didn't have it at the time, but I did buy a cheap Stratocaster and that's the, that's the guitar parts on that. So again, I should have called this album, uh, or this EP, uh, Andrew, Andrew meets the single coils or something, but you know, I love that guitar part. There was one, I don't even, I mean, is it even really a, a solo or kind of a breakdown, guitar breakdown, but I love that that sound in there. That's the Telecaster, though. I had the Telecaster oh, okay. for the guitar solo, and then I had the um, the rest of that was basically Strats and Les Pauls. So. I was going to say, I love your percussive attack on this. Oh, like thanks. You, you, have, you have such a nice texture, and I think that's probably, if I play guitar, that would be the fun part of recording, is how can you add feel and texture with guitar? Because there's so much cool, like, percussive, like, really kind of... It's all percussion, yeah. It's all, everything that we do, like, I mean, I'm a huge James Brown fan, and, like, you know, everything is a drum. Like, that is a thing that he he preached to all of his musicians, and, like, you know, it is, it's all rhythm. That's how you get people to move, and I love playing rhythm guitar. Like, you know, with me kind of teaching lessons over the years, like, I kind of tell them, I'm like, look, like the fluttery like lose your mind guitar solos those are great those are fun but like you're not going to you're not going to be able to like get the same reaction out of a song with just a lead guitar and even look at people like Steve Vai and and Eddie Van Halen Eddie Van Halen's one of the greatest rhythm guitar players ever nobody ever talks about yeah. it you want something yeah. hard to play uh beautiful girls off of Van Halen too I had a buddy of mine recently, he was like, oh, you know what I want for my birthday? And I was like, what? He's like, I want you to play Beautiful Girls, the intro, on guitar. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, just send me a video of you playing it. I was like, okay. And like, I learned it, and I was like, oh, shit, this is really hard. That's how I feel yeah. about uh, Dance the Night Away. I mean, that's a great riff. Yeah. It's just a rhythm guitar riff. And there's no guitar solo in it. And right. It's just right. that riff. And there's so many... And they were a dance band, right? I mean, they were a dance band in the late 70s. They were yeah. The whole thing was dancing. They knew how to get people moving. I mean, even like Jamie's crying. Yeah. 
bam, bam. Yeah. They're getting people moving. Like Yeah, he played these great riffs, and then I, I was thinking the same thing about you, that you go from really tasteful, rhythmic, percussive stuff into a soaring guitar solo when it's appropriate. And I'm a huge John Frusciante fan. And, like, yeah. you know, he's one of my favorite guitar players, and I've seen him live twice. And, you know, like, and even, like, in his... And you can tell in the recordings, it's the same kind of thing, where, like, you know, they, he would just kind of... He just cuts loose, and he's, like, he's just running it. And, like, yes, I kind of write some licks here and there, but, like, you know, I really just kind of just... You know, I'm trying to evoke emotion out of whatever I write. And sometimes, like, on the, um, you know, talk with me, that's all improv. That's me being, like, just doing a couple different passes and being like, that's the one. I like that. And then you look at a guitar solo, like, on this one, I wrote those licks, but I'm trying to keep it, you know, keep the energy up and keep it moving into some kind of like, oh, this is going somewhere. He means something like that's you know that you know that was a, a written guitar solo, and that was the thing. Whenever I was like in college, probably because I was you know drinking the jazz Kool Aid, um, as they say, uh, with everybody being like, oh, I got improv, man, improv, 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 like Miles Davis, and I'm like, yeah, cool, like Miles Davis could do that all day and all that kind of stuff, and like recently with my own stuff, you know, I I've I like writing guitar solos. I like writing them out for certain songs. It just depends on the song. Like, you know, the, the ones that I really kind of improv through, it's a different feel. It's a different, like, emotion that I'm trying to get to. And the ones that I write, there's still that emotion, but it's, like, more of, like, a, you know, guitar acrobats going back to Eddie Van Halen. I mean, Eddie Van Halen is, like, he's the reason I started playing guitar. Mm. Which is weird if you look at how old I am, right? <laughs> because I started playing guitar when I was twelve, yeah. so that would have put he had switched to keyboard by then. Ninety, yeah, that was ninety nine, two thousand, and I remember my mom blasting Balance, which is a great album, like a really good guitar album. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know what you, uh, what what's your vote real quick with Hagar versus Roth? I I like uh, I like Sammy Hagar, I like their first album. The first time they did, they did two albums. Yeah, they did fifty-one fifty. Oh yeah, oh you eight one two. F U C K. Balance. You should go back and you should go back and listen to Balance. That there's some really yeah. good stuff on that album. Yeah. For the record, I'm a Diamond Dave guy. The first. Uh, you would be. You would. Yeah. <laughs> I like his subtlety. But yeah, I you know Eddie Van Halen. I just everything that guy did was just phenomenal. The first real guitar that I bought, like the first good one, is a PV Wolfgang. I love when you play that. It definitely, that, that whammy bar and the ability for it to not go out of tune whenever you use the whammy bar just really makes me want to use that whammy bar the whole time. But I use yeah. it for recording. I've got, you know, I don't know, 12 guitars uh, in my collection right now, and I use all of them. Like, when I, especially when I'm stacking guitar lines and stuff. And in driving, like, I use that Strat a lot in the, the main... Um, rhythm stuff and uh like the les paul and the sg just crunch right through and then i've even got like a court jazz guitar and that the any any wobble you hear is usually that eddie van halen the, the wolfgang pv and uh yeah just different sounds for different things and that's how i like to watch some video with some guy who's like oh i use the same guitar but i use different amps when i stack guitars and i was like screw that <laughs> like i like you know 
having the different guitar sounds together. And that's kind of like more of a Brian May uh, stacking thing that he would do, you know, where he would kind of use, you know, just, you know, and it was usually the same guitar, but he would change the sound on that guitar Right, to kind of right. evoke, you know, single coil, out of phase, more of a Les Paul sound, all that kind a of stuff. A lot of people say it's because so I, I like don't know those just with different guitars. Andrew, I'd cut you off. How? How? Because your age doesn't make sense for your influences. <laughs> I know. So, is it? Was it from your mom? My dad is lucky if he can play a radio. Um, okay. I know, like, but my mom, she uh, was a drummer in high school, um, which is awesome. You know, she had like a yeah. really nice pearl kit in the you know from the seventies and. She played like marching snare drum and stuff, uh, you know, and marching band. And, you know, she she definitely was like she she is like the main musical influence. My earliest memories is listening to like Boston and Aerosmith tapes in her Honda Prelude. You know, that's like some of my earliest memories, just like listening to to that stuff. And, you know, I remember just. It, probably the time, probably because she just played it all the time. She loves Sammy Hagar too, so that's probably why I'm drinking the Sammy Kool Aid yeah. so much. Yeah. But um, yeah, I remember her just blasting Balance all the time, and I remember being like, "Oh, that's a good like between Eddie Van Halen and Joe Perry." I was like, "That's a guitar." Like I'd heard the Beatles, and I like knew that they were guitar players, but I was like, "Eddie Van Halen, that's a guitar." Mm. Like yeah. there is a big difference between George Harrison and Eddie Van Halen as far as like you know, the the sounds and all, you know, the technique and everything. So I just remember being like, oh, that is, that's a guitar right there. And then, you know, yeah, my influence are, are they're super weird. <laughs> Based on your age, you should be like a big Limp Biscuit fan. Did you go through like that phase? <laughs> Were you listening to popular music? Oh, oh wow, God. you're really outing me. Yeah. You're really outing me on this <laughs> podcast. Um, but I mean, did you also listen to that kind of stuff, like with your friends, or was it all like, what are you trying to, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to start right here, buddy? Um, <laughs> no, no, I, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm setting you up to say that you were above all that. Was not above any of that. <laughs> I, I, I never. Owned My a, first favorite band was Motley Crue, so I, I can't really. Uh, all right, fair enough. Um, I <laughs> never owned a Limp Biscuit CD or album, uh, but I definitely listened to them for sure. I mean, it was on the radio. All- Who's your most recent? influence where you can say i mean not just somebody you hear on the radio and you like but where you think okay i like what they're doing that has moved me to not copy them but like rethink a little bit what i'm doing or trying to do something that childish gambino album blew me away there's definitely like my life and then like oh let's go this way now after listening that childish gambino album which it's really just listening to his kind of funkadelic influences and stuff that he liked when he was younger um, Thundercat is another, like, I like a lot of what he does and I like Thundercat a lot because he's like really satirical with a lot of his songs. They're not, you know, kind of tongue in cheek with some of those lyrics where you, I hear a cat over there, um, you know, on one of your <laughs> microphones. Oh, and, uh, so like he writes songs about his cats and stuff oh, yeah. like these goofy songs. And it's cool because it's like music needs to be fun as much as it needs to be like emotional and stuff. Courtney, if you don't stop that cat. <laughs> yeah, that cat's going through I'm something. Trying. I'm talking. Tell that cat I'm talking. Is that cat okay? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. He's thirsty. Andrew, list off your projects real quick, if you can, if you can remember them all. Um, there's a lot. Um, you know, and, you know, I've got, obviously, the Andrew Felston band. And so anybody that plays in that band, I kind of made it a point because I'm just, you know, I never want people to be like, 
Andrew's just this authoritative asshole that, you know, like, he's just, you know, he's cracking the whip and he's just right. like, you know, he's, he's the, that guy and like, I'm not that guy. Right. I don't think there's any danger of anyone ever thinking that. But I, I like people and I've always done this too. Like I, you know, even like older bands, you know, I like to have that whole like kind of Beatles thing where like, well, Paul's singing a song and now it's John's turn and now George is going to do one. Hey, guess what? Ringo's got a couple back there. Let's give Ringo's like, I, that's how I kind of put these shows together. And I've noticed, especially after incorporating Carrie Morrison, that people like that. People are like, you know, I can only imagine after listening to my voice after about 15, 20 minutes, people are like, all right, we've heard it all. So kind of taking that and being like, okay, Andrew does a couple songs, Carrie does a song, like Roddy's going to sing a song, or Walker even sings a song. And Jeff, Jeff is a very good singer as well. I'm trying to get Jeff to start singing a couple songs in there. And um, so I like kind of variety. So, of course, like anybody in my band, so I've produced... Roddy, Roddy's music in the past, I, you know, I'm kind of file sharing with Walker and kind of getting some of his stuff put together. Um, Carrie Morrison, I'm working on a project with her, um, with some of her stuff. She wants like kind of like a big rock sound. I think she's had kind of like an awakening of sorts being like the, you know, lonely keyboard player singer for so long that once she started playing in the band, she was like, oh, I really like this. So she's kind of working on a project with me. Um, and then Kate Bryant, I have worked on an EP and then like a single with her. Um, and her stuff is also kind of, you know, she, she can kind of bounce between this sort of like moody, acoustic driven singer songwriter thing. And then also like this straight ahead country stuff. And which is, they're both equally fun to record. Um, so yeah, you know, um, obviously the Rocky Horror Music Show, um, you know, I've been doing that for a couple of years with, uh, you know, Cheech Marin right up there on that screen. And, um, you know, uh, I guess you look more like Tommy Chong right now with the, yeah, the hair and you. the beard. But um, yeah, I've been doing that and that's... Hold on, let's take a break. Take a break from uh, talking about your project. We'll come right back to it. Courtney, you get compared yeah. to a lot of different people. Uh, who, yeah. Who's your favorite person you get compared to as far as your looks? Um, Dave Grohl? I find, no, uh, Seth Avett. You would yeah. say that. You do a um, Fleetwood Mac tribute with Carrie. Yeah, we've been, you know, as far as like those tribute shows, I kind of stole a business model from some other musicians around town. And I noticed, you know, even before like doing this Rocky Horror music show, like I was like, well, how can I get people interested in what I do? And I was like, oh, I was like, we'll start to maybe get some of our influences and just kind of do these tribute things. And I've done some of those in the past. I, I you know, I did, uh, for, you know, I, in a different project, I did like a Beatles show. Um, though we have a Beatles show now that we're kind of doing every now and then, but, um, do like Beatles tribute. And I've done like a Neil Young and like, uh, I did the white album by myself, like, a you know, just me and acoustic guitar doing the white album. Revolution 9 was pretty fun. Uh, it was pretty weird. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just a way, and the way that I structure them, too, and I'm real strict, because I've had some bigger venues here in town. They were like, hey, we love the idea of a Led Zeppelin tribute, uh, but we want to change your name so people don't think it's a local band, and we don't want you to do the original music up front. And I was like, no. <laughs> 
F you, no thanks. Um, so like, and I've had people kind of do that and I'm like, cool, this isn't for you. I don't care. Bye. Like, cause the whole idea, the way that I structure these things is there is a solid first set, usually about an hour and 15 minutes of all original music. So anytime you come out of those tribute shows, that's what it is initially. And then we come up and we play two hours of Led Zeppelin or, you know, an hour and a half of Fleetwood Mac or, you know, hour and a half of Beatles, whatever, you know, eventually I'd like to kind of, you know, keep doing those. And it's really nice because every single time I've done one of those tribute shows, somebody has come up and they've said, hey, Fleetwood Mac, that was great, but man, your originals, love them. That was awesome. Like, I love the originals in this band. And it's not just my original songs either. It's if Roddy's playing Let Me Do Roddy songs, if Carrie's playing Let Me Do Carrie songs, you know, whoever's on stage with me, I try to showcase them as songwriters because it's a thing, and especially with, like, AI and that whole, like, AI music manipulation, whatever is going on yeah. with, uh, with a lot of these things, it's, you know... I don't know. It's it's weird, and it, it's one of those things where they talk about on Spotify, like some of the biggest selling songs every year. It's always like "Sympathy for the Devil" and "Back in Black," and like these songs have been around forever. There's so many songs being put up, but it's like the in, the internet has sort of leveled the playing field for everybody, mm-hmm. unless you have lots of money. So it just goes right back to the business model of music industry in the past, where it's money. So like all these people who are very talented don't get the same opportunities that Taylor Swift or, you know, Beyonce get. Even a lot, you find that a lot of the uh, so-called grassroots songs that come up or artists that come up were actually, I mean, they were just presented as that way, but they really had a lot of money behind them, you know. Absolutely. And that's what, and that's all, that's all a record label has ever been. Like a big record label is just a bank. Mm. You know, I've got friends in big bands that say like, you know, oh, we went $80,000 over budget for our tour, but it was a success. And I'm like, if I went $800 over budget, I would be shaking and panicking, you know? So, now, Andrew, I think those tribute shows are such a good business model, especially like when you do those residencies, mm-hmm. like at Boojum, you know, you have like four nights and you do four different tributes and you get people out there and, and it's such a good mix. It seems like, yeah, like 50-50 covers to originals. You get people out for the you know, covers, but they like your originals. It's, yeah, it's really solid. And I've got these big imposing flags behind me with the AT logo and everything. Yeah, and they're, like, they're not confused about who they're seeing. Yeah, they're like, okay, got it. I know who this guy is. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the the tribute things have been really fun, but it's, it's more, it just means more to me to hear people be like, oh, I love your songs. And like, that's the entire point of it. So, you know, not to be confused with, with a lot of like the, you know, Zoso that does like the Led Zeppelin stuff and like the rumors that does the Fleetwood Mac thing. Like this is, you know, listen to our original music and then here's our interpretation of these songs, which is always fun. Yeah. Yeah, so this was, uh, you know, we, we bought a house um, about a year and a half ago. And, like, 
I told my wife, I was like, look, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care where it is. I don't care how big it is, whatever. That's all your problem. I want two things, a wood stove and I want a studio. And that's what we got. And like, it's a beautiful house, it's a wonderful house. And she's, you know, supportive enough to be like, yeah, here, take this extra room that's in the basement and turn it, convert it into a studio. And this was the first song that I wrote in that house. And the demo, I like, I was talking about this the other day where the, the vocals in the demo are so, there's so much vibe to it where like you can kind of hear like the explosion on the microphone and stuff because I didn't have anything in the room. It was my amp and I had the computer I had, and I was just like, Oh, I got to get this idea down. And I kind of wrote these chords and I was like, Oh, that's kind of spooky and kind of weird and kind of an odd chord progression and these notes and stuff. So I was like, I was like, this is some, this is going to be a good one. But I had to, again, just sort of let it digest. And a lot of times whenever I get these demos, I'll put them together and I'm like, okay, I really like this right now. Let me get the idea all the way down. And I remember just basically recording vocals and guitars all in like maybe two days or something. And I got it all the way down and I kind of knew production wise, I wanted to start with a, you know, a, a drum machine and then go into like the actual drum part and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, have the intro kind of loudspeaker-ish intro and then go into the song. I knew the production stuff that I wanted, but I was also like, I don't know. And there's been plenty of times of this too, where I've written these songs and I'm like, it's a great song. I can't put that out. <laughs> and with this one, I was like, oh, kind of on the fence about it. And I was playing it for my uh, wife a couple months ago. And she was like, this is a really good song. I was like, oh, whoa, praise from Caesar over here. <laughs> like, like that means something because she's, you know, and that's that's the kind of stuff where like I kind of have to trust other people's opinions on this stuff where I'm like, I know it's a good song, but I don't know if it's for me. And like that was one where I was like, there's one for me. And I just went through it. And this is another one where I had, you know, in the way that I record all this stuff too, I have a demo, give it to Jeff, Jeff writes something. We start with drums. That's something I learned from years of being into the police and stuff was like, you know, uh, the band, not the authority figures. Um, <laughs> he backs uh, the blue is what he's trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so they always started with like um, Stuart Copeland playing drums and then they would stack everything on top of that. And that's a really effective way to get like a good sound because sometimes you have to like change a guitar part, change a key, all that kind of stuff. If it's not fitting a singer and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, like, you know, with this one, I, I kind of, it was just with all these songs kind of stacking Jeff up to begin with gives me the ability to have him play to the track, feel the track, but then we are playing to him. And he is like the, you know, he's got, you know, the way that he plays too, like, Sometimes he's laying back, sometimes he's really aggressive and on top of the beat and stuff. So like it's it's nice to be able to play to him. And he is the click at that point. So like whatever slight human inconsistencies he might have, it doesn't matter because we are tracking to him. So we are locked. What in. is he playing to? Um 
Is he playing through like a scratch track? Or yeah, he's, he's, he's or? usually playing like the demo. I usually give him the okay. demo, and then we kind of just sculpt it together. So the demo mm-hmm. is to a like it's, it's a click track demo. Yeah, exactly. Demo. And that's kind of that's that's what I've learned over the years. Is like first off. <laughs> Whatever you do, do it to a click. Even if it's a demo, do it to a drum machine or something. Because, and I found this out because a fair amount of this EP is parts of the demo. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, this sounds. I'm not gonna get. I'm not going to achieve that again. Let yeah. me just put it in the, the track, and that's what we do. So, um, you know, that's what I did, and I was like, yep, this is just too good for me to try to recreate this. You know, after the fact. Is that is that the initial vocal? Because uh, I because you had said you really love the vocal that you did, and I I have a note here that I I love that it's I love how like forward and present that vocal is. Like it's it's a different kind of vocal. Feel it took for you. me it took me a while to get that vibe back, but it's mm. parts of it yes, parts of it no. And I use yeah. you know I'm it's just like guitar stuff where I track so many different. Uh, vocals and stack them up i'm a big queen fan so like i really you know that's the band not the uh, monarch um <laughs> um with that one there are elements of the demo that are still in there i used to i was in a band a few years ago and there was a guy uh, one of those guys in the band he would make a demo and he was so great at making these demos that we usually did not get to the point where we sounded as good as his demo like yeah, we were, we were, you know, you know, he's making his own, his own demo, and we were like, yeah, we were oh, like, oh, man, Chad, yeah, I wish we sounded, sound, I feel bad because we cannot sound as good as you do. Yeah. 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 No, but it's been, uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, so, I, you know, I always kind of lay everything down to a demo, have him do it to a demo, and then we just do it to him. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's the best results, because then it's like, you know, and we're working on the next EP already, and there's definitely a song on there that we're going to track live together, like no click or anything, and really let it be the amoeba of a real, you know, us playing together. Have you ever thought about doing a live uh, live album or EP? For sure, yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, that that stuff, you know... It can be kind of a, you know, with the amount of layers and stuff that my music has always had, it can be kind of tricky. But because now we have Carrie Morrison playing with us, playing keys and, and doing vocals and stuff along with everything else, yeah, I'd like to do something like that eventually. I've got a tambourine. There you go. Yeah, man. <laughs> a Troy. Troy's a professional. That would be fun. Yeah. yeah, it would be fun to kind of set up like, a you know, the live recordings, but like with like 15 people. Yeah. doing yeah. all of that but it's that's going to be a lot of arranging writing parts out and rehearsing and all that fun stuff <laughs> so andrew so much of your stuff and kind of talking about that old school versus new school stuff you could not have done any of this 15 years ago i mean so much of what you do is based on home technology yeah and that's you know i've been i've been obsessed with recording since i was a little kid i remember like when the beatles anthologies came out i was in elementary school and i was reading about how they recorded stuff and it's like it's archaic now but like you know sergeant pepper revolver rubber soul kind of getting into those albums and stuff as a kid i loved the layers and i was like and listening to queen i remember definitely listening to bohemian rhapsody a lot as a kid and being like this is the most amazing thing that has ever been recorded yeah. And, you know, the amount of care. I think they said, like, two weeks solid working 12 hours a day is what 
is the amount of time it took that band to put that song together. Right, right. Which is crazy. And even back then, and like, you know, the, the tape and stuff, you know, alone, you know, they had so many tracks on there. I think they said like the tape was like deteriorating as they were like stacking more stuff on there. So, you know, and that's that's the big thing that I kind of have learned over the years too is like having a good guitar, a good amp, going into a good program sounding good make sure whatever the hell you're recording sounds as good as it can and with drums you know like jeff um he's been using these saluta cymbals for years they sound amazing that's him yeah. that's his sound and that's mm. so much of it because i remember we were recording the ep back in 2020 and he had some old zildjans that he put on and they just sounded like crap <laughs> i was like put them salutas back on i was like you're getting paid for those salutas so yeah. you know it's yeah i played those symbols they're so like dark and dry yeah and it's and he has, they're great for recording too dude. like there's a yeah. lot of clarity in his high what kit did he play do you, do you have like a kit that you have set up that's already biked or did he bring one of his now you you jeff is far <laughs> too picky to just yes. use my pearl export series you know that i use but uh yeah i think he was using um for most of the album he's using this awesome ludwig uh snare i think it was ludwig and then he was using um these drums that he pulled apart refinished put back together and you know the salute symbols so and that green that green mapex kit or whatever that is green kit is the one that's yeah. basically on all of these yeah for sure. yeah he takes such care in his gear it's amazing oh he's such a dork about it we played a gig once where you know he we were playing outside and it started raining and you know roddy and i were like covering our gear with like tarps he was like, oh, no, I've got, I got to cover my drums. I was like, Jeff, I was like, you hit your grown man and you hit these things so hard. I was like, the, our things plug in to, like, these, you know, these are electronics. Like, you're not going to get electrocuted if your drums are a little wet, you know. Like, yeah. Uh, it's funny. But, yeah, he's a beast. And, like, you know, I'm just lucky to have, I'm lucky to be surrounded by so many great musicians, even in, like, the Rocky Horror music thing that we do. Like, it's it's nice to basically show up and hear just like good musicians in a room, like, and to yeah. be surrounded with good musicians just in the area and to have good musicians actually care about my songs and want to be part of what I'm doing, you know? And like, that's just like a huge thing. And it's, it's rewarding to, to not only have like good material for these musicians to play with, but to also let them be who they are in most of these songs, you know, and like to, to kind of do it and do it like a band and, you know, and, and get that together and, you know, all the backing vocals and all that kind of stuff. It's just the, the final product is just, I love it. I love the process, you know? Yeah. I have a question. I know, I know you're, you know, your many different bandmates think the world of you as a band leader and, you know, I've seen how you treat them and very fairly, probably overly fairly. I know us band leaders generally get the shortest cut. Um, but how, how do you feel about being a band leader versus, you know, just a member of a band? Um, I mean, I, you know, I like being, I like being taken care of, you know, I like being the guy that shows up and does his stuff and does it to the best of his abilities. But with my band, you know, I've been in other bands in the past with other leaders where, you know, we might be out on tour and suddenly it's my turn to put gas in the car. And I'm like, 
this is under your name, this is your band, why, you know, I'm just kind of a hired gun sort of thing, you know, not to name names or anything, but like I've learned over the years of, you know, and just watching other bands fall apart or be successful and know what that is. And, you know, at the end of the day, I just really like playing in a band. I like playing in a tight band. I don't like, I like money. (laughs) I like making money playing gigs. I like that. And, you know, I hope to make more money, you know, as we're going and everything. And I've made an impressive career thus far being able to do this stuff. But, you know, money as far as like creative endeavors and performances and stuff, like I can go home happy knowing that the band sounded really tight and made a connection with people opposed to, oh, I made a bunch of money playing covers to people that didn't care. You know, like, I like the energy transference of this is me, this is a song that I wrote with tight musicians going out and people enjoying it. That's that's what means the most to me. Like, you know, I just, you know, that's that's what I'm about. You know, that's what I, when I worked in radio, I was always promoting original music. Like, you know, I got in trouble with it uh, at a radio station that I'm not going to say the letters, but it's one of the bigger radio stations around here. Does it start here. with a W? It does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I worked out there for a couple shifts, and the big notes they had, they were like, you played too much local music. I was like, mm-hmm. like you guys do that all the time. You know, like, yeah. what are you talking about? And like, But in certain hours. Yeah. No, nah, I mean, even, you know, in regular, but yeah, that's, that's a radio, radio is a political thing that I yeah, could yeah. also spend another three hour podcast talking about the <laughs> nonsense that is modern commercial radio, but, um, yeah. or even underwriting, but, um, you know, it's all the same thing, but, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Courtney, I'm glad you, uh, it's interesting you brought up that about his bit cause I actually have some testimonies here from some of, uh, Andrew's, uh, band mates. Uh, allegedly allegedly i'm gonna give you a couple of them because there's there's really too many because we'd be another here another three hours as talented with the music as he is with being personable and members of with members of different bands this is making me uncomfortable oh sorry you want me to stop (laughs) i would like Uh, you to keep going no 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 keep going keep going (laughs) this one this is very long i can't even read all this uh right now i mean like i literally don't know this many words uh insanely talented a front man and writer as he for at for as insanely all right take two ron i'll start over uh that's for me editing here's one for as insanely talented a front man and writer as he is he's never arrogant we are a family truly an amazing bandmate and friend and then one and that was that the long a uh, long just tirade about how great he is <laughs> and then um uh, he has a vision for the final product wait, wait oh he makes you feel like a collaborator it's a creative joy to be in the studio with him and that was written by Andrew's mother. <laughs> Wanda Robinson did not write that. I can assure you that. <laughs> While we're um, talking about how great Andrew is and how generous, you did something, Andrew, that I've never seen before that I've learned. Oh, from. I thought you were going to say, "Let's talk about how great Ron is." No, no you're also great. Okay, that's good. Uh, <laughs> we uh, we played a show together, and I'd never seen this move before, where you took the tip money and gave it to the people working the venue. Yeah. I'd never seen that before. No. <laughs> Courtney. Yeah, I was like, I was like oh, that's a classy move. Yeah, is that a standard thing? I, I tip I tip the bartenders. I do that stuff because, like, I know that, like... It's a great idea. Well, you know, I mean, especially if you've got a door guy, you know, a sound guy, like, you know, 
they're doing they're working and like if especially if they do a really good job i tend to tip a little bit more on the sound guy because you know that's i've i've learned good sound guys versus bad sound guys yeah that makes so much sense but i've never heard of anyone doing that really how many do you think other a lot of other people do that i mean i had somebody i've ever seen I've been around the block, and that's the only time I've ever seen it. Wow. I can tell you nobody tips a podcaster. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I get a lot of free free food and drinks, but that's it. I, guess that's I have some ideas for you, Ron. I have some yeah. notes. Oh, yeah. Courtney's got notes. Um, <laughs> no, nah, yeah, I don't know. It's just, you know, tipping people, you know. It's putting it out there, putting it out there to get it back. You know, I always tip people, tip the bartenders and anybody working out there. You know, I think it's important, and we're all in it together with whatever shows are going on. So whether it's good or bad, I always try to show gratitude. And that's like, that's also a big thing. Like, you know, I could be hit by a bus tomorrow and like, at least like while I was here, that's why I always like pay my band members first. Also, I generally try to pay them before the show. And I always make this joke. I'm like, yeah, that way if I'm ever super rich and famous and I'm just like a, you know, a lunatic, alcoholic, drug addict, and just being like a crazy person throwing things, at least people will be like, well, Andrew paid me before the gig once, so that was great. Um, (laughs) But, you know, like showing gratitude for whether it's the musicians in my band or like the people, the staff at the venue and stuff, like it's it's a huge thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Pay it forward, I guess. Classy. Yeah, I try. Classy guy. As a professional full-time musician, I know you – you, you know, you obviously play and write, give lessons. Uh, but do you, I mean, you don't really tour. Uh, what's the farthest, farthest that you uh, play? You know, I've gone everywhere from up to New York City, all the way down to Florida and, you know, around uh-huh. over the years. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to get out there a little bit more, you know. Uh, my, my little baby boys are two and one, so they're past the, you know, infant stage of like oh god don't drop them kind of thing um so you know i'm always trying to get back into the regional touring i mean 2020 really kind of threw like a huge uh i'm talking right now i'm just kidding um what what happened i heard a ding i heard a ding um uh anyway um you know 2020 really threw like a big like wrench into everybody's thing and i was kind of going that way as far as getting into the regional touring and stuff. And I'm just trying to get back into it. And, you know, the, the original music and kind of, you know, how the business always shifts, you know, more things are kind of happening online with marketing and, you know, videos and the actual music than sometimes the touring. So, you know, picking my battles, you know, I wanted to be your tour manager is what I was getting at. You got it, man. You're, you're on it. You're hired. You're hired. You were doing some nice, yeah, you were doing some nice traveling, like 18 and 19. Like you were doing a lot of Boone stuff and like out to Tennessee. It seemed like you had a good, like three, four hour kind of radius. Virginia and out to Wrightsville beach and South Carolina. And, you know, we're steadily kind of getting back to that, but I've also learned there's only so much time to spend on certain things. And I like spending my time creatively and to kind of go through this process of recording and whatever performances I end up doing, like making them the best performances that they can be. And sometimes being in a car for nine hours to go play some crappy gig that I booked, you know, because they would take me isn't always a good idea. So, you know, kind of making sure that I have the marketability before I go to these other places. I mean, that's kind of, that's also 
a thing that I've learned over the years because you will burn a band out. You'd be a great, you'd be a great uh, festival band too. Oh, for sure. And that's, you know, we, we're, we've, you know, gotten onto a couple of those like kind of town festivals over the last couple of years, like rhythm mm. and brews. And we did um, concerts on the Creek and, you know, like the, the smaller town festivals and the outdoor things are also super fun. I mean, like, you know, playing at some of these outdoor breweries, feels like you're playing at a festival and you know that's kind of where you know a lot of a lot of things happen where people kind of like really learn about you so you know you bring up a good point by mentioning those two festivals a festival uh, its name has to have some kind of wordplay or it just can't be a festival right it has to have alliteration or a pun or something like that oh yeah yeah i played a sweet yeah. stock name one that doesn't onomatopoeia fest there you go uh, one of these days i'm actually i'm gonna set up a music festival i'm gonna do that um that's that's on my bucket list for the next five to ten years to you know yeah, <clears throat> yeah and i've got some family property that my my folks have out in transylvania county that would be perfect for an outdoor thing so i just have to kind of you know have it work and find bands that will you know do the stuff and Start and just like anything else I've ever done with this, just start small and build on it. So, talk a little bit about uh, Clever Dog Records. Well, that was you know whenever I put out my first album, I was just like you know might as well start a record label. I am the record label, you know. I'm the guy, you know. It's it's me and really my my friend Daniel who does a lot of the you know producing and engineering with me, um, you know, and then just. I know a lot of people in the radio stations. I obviously know people doing podcasting and kind of getting the word out about music. So I was just like, well, let me kind of help my friends out. And that's another thing that like all the people that I listed earlier that I've been like working with and producing and engineering with, you know, I just like helping my talented friends as dorky as that might sound like, you know, I, you know, I've, I've, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a recording dork that has amassed lots of gear. I have a space for it. And, yeah. you know, one of my big heroes is Jack White, who seems to kind of do the same sort of thing for bands and musicians and stuff. So yeah. it's uh, it's just fun to kind of be able to do that and kind of help my friends out. So that's that's what I'm about, for sure. It's just the, the community of... The community of creativity. Ding! And is that is that like a... a in partnership with Gingerbird Studios. Yeah, it's pretty much that's that was that was me and Daniel as well and he he runs sound over Great Eagle um so he's around other bands and stuff and you know, we, we kind of went the route of, you know, he helps me, I help him, you know, and he's an amazing musician as well. He's a great drummer and you know, he's a fantastic sound guy. Like if I could afford him for every show, I would. He's another guy that I would yeah, he's great. have out there, and he's he's one of those guys where like something goes wrong, he can fix it real quick. So. What's a song from your past or a recent that you still? Uh, well, let's say an old song that you still have an emotional reaction to. The ocean, my song, the ocean. If I died tomorrow, I want somebody. I want Chris Cooper, who is arguably one of the best guitar players I know. Get him out of his shell. I want him to play that song at my funeral. That's what I want. Well, we've got him. We've got him on the line right now. Uh, no, like <laughs> Andrew, I, I commit to making that happen. I assume you'll die before me. I love so that I song. To make that happen. I love performing that song. I like those guitar parts, and I like I can always kind of pinpoint the guitar nerds 
out in the mm-hmm. audience whenever I play that because they're like, I can see them like when I'm doing all that stuff and they're like, oh yeah, like that guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. Like I'm like, yeah, dude. Like they start like really honing in on your hands. They're like, What's yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I really like that. So I mean, I, you know, time is another one. Every time I play that, I do really like that. I mean, like most of the songs that I've put out under my name, I really like performing them. I like. You know, sometimes the older recordings, I'm like, well, you know, I've played it for years now, so I kind of sing them differently or play them differently. But, you know, if I've if I've released it, it's meant something to me. So when I hear it or play it, you know, it still means something. If you could, if you were all powerful, you could make one law for the whole world, like a real law, not like everybody's, you know, nobody ever gets sick. That's ridiculous. But, um... But what, what would it be? You make Nobody feels pain. Uh, like two people have said that people under 18 can't use social media. They, hey, dude, so that's, like that. Yeah. that, I mean, I, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be bad. Um, yeah. I don't know if you can make a law of don't be an asshole. Like, I feel like that mm-hmm. would probably be, you know, that would probably be a good one. Good starting yeah. point. So, but that's also like kind of an open-ended, you know. What is an asshole? Let's talk about it. Let's dissect an asshole. I mean, I took that personally. Personally, I don't really... hey, uh, you kind of looked at me when you said it. I don't don't be a jerk. You know, sum it up. Don't be a jerk. You know, try to try to help people. You said a few people that you've worked with. What were some uh, some musicians that you wish people listened to more? It's a good question. I mean, there's a lot in in Asheville. Carpal Tuller. Chris Tuller, anything that dude does. That song TSA, that's one of the coolest songs, music videos I've ever seen. And he ma- yeah, he makes the best music videos. Good. Um, yeah. you know, uh, you know, I really like the Death Bots. Their most recent EP, the split EP that they did is really good. Um, great punk rock, you know. I there's so so many different musicians around here and just around the world that do some really awesome things. Um, just too many to list, you know, I guess myself, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Let's, let's, yeah, you know. That's it. Carrie Morrison. She writes great songs, you know, yeah, she's so good. She's, I love seeing you guys at a trio, but when she's with you as well, it's, it's such a next level kind of thing. Like she's, mm. yeah, I wish she was at every show you guys play. <laughs> Thanks man. I'll let her know that. <laughs> yeah. So let's say you have a conversation with someone like at a party or, you know, something like that. Maybe not a party, more, something more casual. And um, what do you want them to go away thinking of you? What impression do you want mm. to have? I don't know. I don't really care about what people think about me. I mean, like, I know who I am. So, like, you know, I guess that I'm a passionate musician and that I care about my friends and I, uh, I'm just trying to help, you know? That's the main yeah. thing. Like, it's, that's the... The one thing, you know, I just, I think that's kind of the point of life sometimes is to leave it better, try to leave it better than when you came in or whatever, mm. you know, that kind of thing. The campsite rule. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, Ron, just so you know, I want, I want people to think that I'm handsome and funny and really smart. You got two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> I just be two out of there. three, bro. That's right. Uh, uh, yeah, the music impression, impression, musical impression. Um, I think I just did one right there. Yeah, um, yeah I couldn't tell. 
That's some good ones. That's uh, uh, um, That's more like Bruce Springsteen, though, who yeah. I don't like. Um, I'll put that out there. I, I know. People, some people give me that, that thing. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a boss fan. Yeah. You were doing so good with the... Beatles I know. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I also don't get the Grateful Dead. Um, I'm with you on that. Yes. Um, I think we all agree. Yeah. I've stopped telling people that. I tell people all the time. I don't care. I'm not hiding <laughs> anymore. I'm not hiding. In this community, I don't care. And man, they will get... I've, there's a couple friends of mine who also have that same mentality where they're like, screw the Grateful Dead. And I'm like, yeah, I don't get it. And yeah. sometimes people are just like, hey, man, you didn't hear this one recording with Jerry's. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't get it. I'm never going to get it. And sometimes I really do I think yeah, that... that really. Like I it think really that I'm is. the jerk, and I like I'm like maybe I just miss it, and I'll like listen to it, and I'm like nope, same same yeah. feeling. I hate this. Yeah. Like, I'll try. Like I'll tell somebody like give me like don't give me fifty albums. Like tell me the album that I need to listen mm. to, and I'll try. I told si- I, I I I get in trouble for saying I don't like Pink Floyd, and Silas um, from the Get Right Band. He's like, but you haven't heard this one, so I'm like, tell me the best album, and Ooh. he's like, just just listen to. And it's debatable because he said The Wall, then everyone told me, like, no, that's not the one to start with. The Wall's pretty good, but, uh, though. I mean, Dark Side of the Moon's great. I, I love Animals. Like, Animals yeah. is my favorite Pink Floyd album. But, yeah, that's another band yeah, that you either really like. The Doors, that's another one where people are like, I love The Doors. Or they're like, I hate The Doors. And I'm like, how do you hate The Doors? Like, yeah. Jim Morrison. I see Grateful Dead fans really hate it when you say, oh, I kind of like The Grateful Dead. I, like, I really love that song, uh, Touch of Grey. Yeah, that's I do. Now, song. I do actually like that they song. Hate yeah. They're like, that's your sellout song, man. So for everybody who likes The Grateful Dead, I like Touch of Grey. I do. Yeah. It's actually good. Yeah, it was on MTV. It was a great video. Yeah. I like the skeletons girls. and stuff. Seniors. It's great. <laughs> Senior year of high school, I liked a girl who was a deadhead, so I tried to get into the dead to impress her. And so I bought The Greatest Hits. I was like, yeah, I like The Greatest Hits. Like, you know, they're like five or six good songs. But, uh, yeah. yeah. It's a decent compilation. Um, <laughs> so last week, actually, uh, I'm glad you said that, Courtney, about the get right band because last week i interviewed the get right band and uh asked them for a question for the next person was you. Hey, and they said I love andrew guys. thelston is there an album you see as a north star for the album you are making because i told them you were in the process of so as far as the one that i've just made or the next one that i'm already making <laughs> you know I, I take it either way whichever way i don't know um i always kind of I don't know. Not real. Like, I don't know. I, I I would be surprised if you said there was one. It doesn't seem like that would be your style. I'm like, I like a lot of albums. I mean, like, the last two Jack White albums are works of art. Um, the most recent Chili Peppers album, about half of it is pretty awesome. You know, I really like that. Um, Just say Revolver. We're all thinking Revolver. That first track off of uh, Lil Yachty. Have you guys listened to that? The, the, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like... Is. Uh, uh, Mike Martinez t- told me about it. He's like, hey, it sounds like Prince on that. And I was like, slow down. And I listened to it. It doesn't sound like Prince, but it's pretty cool stuff. It's some interesting mm. music. So, you know, uh, I just like listening to interesting music. I like the Get Right Band's newest album. That, that one's really cool. Yeah. I like the, the concept. I think that's what they were hoping you would say. Yeah, I think they so, say, too. You would say, itchy soul, probably itchy soul. Je- Jesse sent me a check in the mail. So. Yeah, you know, just whatever's good. That's what I'm into. Two of those dudes were in the Mars Volta tribute, right? Oh, yeah. Damn straight. Jesse and JC. Yeah. That rhythm section was doing a lot of work in that band. Killer rhythm section. That's the most difficult music I've ever had to play on guitar. Was that Mars Volta? It was wild. Yeah. Like, and I've played some wild jazz stuff in college, and 
Yeah, uh, Deloused and the, the yeah Deloused. That whole album is just so good, <laughs> guitar wise. It's amazing. Yeah.